Speaking tonight with Chris Zudi, who uh, made a film called uh, Mexican Moon. How are you doing tonight? I'm doing well. How are you, Chase? Good. What uh, inspired this particular project that you have coming out? Uh, well, the, originally it had started with uh, another script that I had written that I sent to my uh, casting director, Kenan Bell Reed, and she kind of wisely suggested that particular story wasn't wasn't really ready. The script itself wasn't ready. And so I went back to the drawing board and, and ended up writing uh, Mexican Moon in about two weeks. And I was trying to you know, think of a story I could tell with a minimal, uh, minimal cast, minimal crew, something that uh, was distinctly and uniquely Texas and something uh, in kind of a small out of the way Texas town where I wouldn't have to deal so much with traffic and, uh, and crowds and that sort of thing. So I sort of tailored the story to those those needs and within those boundaries. And then uh, it, it was a pretty quick writing process, like I mentioned. So once I kind of had my boundaries, I just uh, kind of went for it and it, it came out pretty quickly. Yeah, I was told that this is actually a p- pandemic uh, made film also to be uh, released on Amazon Prime June 1st. It's interesting even hearing about that, how independent filmmakers find ways around the pandemic. And I'm sure that was the biggest challenge. Is if this was made without, like, say, COVID-19 was not here, would things have been different for how you would want to make this film? Uh, yeah, that's that's an excellent question. Definitely, I would have had uh, more extras. We filmed in, in the town of Heiko, which was, uh, they were just really tremendous, very supportive. And so uh, I would have I would have had a lot of extras on the, the city scenes and the interiors. I would have done uh, more establishing shots and more wide shots with uh, people kind of milling around and, and stuff happening around the main characters as opposed to the very stark way that the film ended up turning out uh, visually with, with a lot of single shots of, of actors and with um, establishing shots in, in the middle of, of town in the middle of the day. And there's nobody on the street except for the, the protagonist. And so it probably would have had definitely more extras if it wouldn't have been for COVID. Yeah, it seemed like from the film that a lot of it is um, a lot of one-on-one or two-on-two type of scenes where it's only between two characters or between one and two other characters. And I, I I would figure that if you had that opportunity in order to or I mean, in order to, if, if COVID was not here, then that wouldn't given you more freedom. I mean, now you have w- what people are saying, or at least CDC, that if you've been fully vaccinated, you don't have to worry about social distancing or wearing a mask. Does any of that change anything for you as a filmmaker? Uh, it, well, we definitely were following the the protocols of the time, and I was I was talking to the the state film commission, and uh, and so we we were shut down for three and a half months during the quarantine when the state just said all all uh, film production had to had to stop, and so um, based on the the new guidelines, uh, it would definitely affect how many people I would I would have probably put. Um, again, in those, those places where I would have used extras to fill out the scenes. And so 
yeah, with the vaccine and people that have, you know, can show they've been vaccinated, that definitely would have probably uh, created a, a, a bigger set for me. Uh, not not only in terms of uh, cast, but I, I probably would have hired a couple more hands to help out too behind the camera. And how confident are you about that going forward? Because while all that is being said, there are some people are still concerned and and it, with reasons. One being that even though CDC says you can take your mask off, no longer social distance, there have been breakthrough cases of people who already been vaccinated. And yet they still got sick. And then there's these new strains of COVID. I actually spoke with another filmmaker who uh, told me that these vaccines are only effective for six months and that there could be another outbreak over the summer. And I'm not one to believe the worst, but, you know, I'm very cautious about this. So, I mean, if it does happen, I have no idea. But uh, I mean, what are your thoughts on that? If I mean, I, I can't I can't speak to the you know the, the medical part of it because I'm, I'm just a lowly filmmaker, so I'm not sure. Yeah. Uh, but definitely, you know, you know, safety and health and life and all that sort of thing come before art. And so if it if it turns out that there's uh, you know a high number of breakout cases, like you mentioned, with people that have already been vaccinated or if, uh, for whatever reason, if there's a huge you know, God forbid, summer outbreak of of COVID and, and new strains that you know come out that force us back into quarantine. Then, uh, as a as a filmmaker, I'll be affected just like someone who's a, a teacher or, or a you know whatever job they do. We're we're all going to be affected again by it. And, and filmmakers and the arts are definitely not going to be immune to uh, having to to go back into whatever protocols we we have to. Yeah, I'm hoping for the best. Now, with uh, for those who don't even know the, the plot, like what is Mexican Moon about? So it's uh, it, it's set in 1980 in kind of a, a fictitious West Texas town. It's about a, a Vietnam vet who has come back and, and served well, but um, he's having a little bit of difficulty readjusting to civilian life. And the cartels are, are uh, starting to become very active uh, on the border with this fi- fictitious West Texas town. And uh, as a result, it's kind of putting a financial strong, stronghold or stranglehold on the, the town's economy and, and businesses are kind of shuttering up. And because of the some of the violence coming in, local business, you know, people are, are moving to El Paso and kind of moving to other major areas outside of this little town. And so uh, the, the Vietnam vet, the protagonist, has to, through a chain of circumstances, ultimately, um, at least he chooses to take cartel money that's been buried in a false grave he's been informed about and uh, he, he does so just from sheer financial uh, difficulty that he's in and so uh, he that then of course sets off a, a, another chain reaction of circumstances um, of consequences really once he's taken that money and what is it about this particular story that made you want to fil- or make a film out of this but most specifically a pandemic structured or at least a pandemic uh free or pandemic supportive our covid pot or covid uh however you want to pronounce it covid uh cautious or careful movie what what made me want to make a yeah a... yeah this particular story well the the fortunate thing is i had uh i had written it of course before i even knew what covid was 
And so um, I, I had initially tailored the story, like I mentioned, just to be on a very stripped down basic uh, level to function on a very basic level. It's a very simple story. It has a very simple arc and trajectory with the plot and with the characters. And so that worked to our advantage when COVID came around when, and uh, we had the quarantines and then we had the, the COVID protocols to follow that at least it was a very simple story. So um, when, when I, it, it is definitely two different discussions because when I, or two different films, because I, it would have been one discussion if we would have spoken when I first set out to make the film and I did my first two week, weekends of, of filming um, versus what it became three and a half months later after, after the quarantine. So, uh, but I, I wanted to tell a simple story and that's actually turned out to be a, in a way a COVID friendly story insofar as we were able to do it uh, with, with a very few amount of people and, you know, very minimal moving parts. I mean, that was impressive to even pull that off and then to distribute it onto Amazon prime, which I, I mean, I'm sure that that's what independent filmmakers have, uh, gotten with, with uh, their projects is try to find these different streaming services to release their films i mean what made the decision ultimately to put it on amazon prime june 1st this year instead of putting it in a movie theater later down the line or maybe another distribution service uh well the my my first film is is called goodnight charlene and we did a uh, it was released in 2019 and we actually did a limited theatrical run at the Arena Cine Lounge in Los Angeles. And um, I had fully intended to do uh, a, a limited theatrical release with Mexican Moon as well. Um, my distributor for both films is a company called Indie Rights that are really tremendous. And uh, they're, they, they're based out of Los Angeles. And, and it was through them that we got the um, we did the limited theatrical for the first film. This film, of course, you know, circling back to COVID. Uh, the, the whole theater culture itself is radically different. Um, and California, especially um, when we were looking to, to release and initially had, you know, some uh, pretty heavy protocol as far as how many people could be in, in a theater and that sort of thing. So it really made sense for this particular project just to go straight to the streaming platforms. But uh, the, the choice to do Prime was um, made with my, in conjunction with my distributor and, because it is such a great streaming outlet, that's a good place to start. And then it'll branch out gradually from there to to quite a few other platforms. Yeah, I mean, get your uh, filming equipment from there, I, I bet. Yeah, yeah, well, yeah. in some cases, right? Yeah, you can, it's it's a one-stop shop for the whole planet now in a lot of ways, isn't it? Yeah, soon they will take over the world. I mean, they, they got drones. Uh, Jeff Bezos is going to rule humanity. It's coming. Well, I, I just saw the the acquisition of uh, I, was it MGM by Amazon? I think they yes, I heard about that. So it's definitely a, a more integrated than it even was uh, when I finished editing the film. It, it's it's the world's changing very quickly. Yeah, think about that. On Amazon Prime, you could go to or watch Mexican Moon, and right next to Mexican Moon is 007. Right. That, yeah, that must be amazing for you. It, it is. Yeah, it's you know I actually just a kind of a, a, a private screening here with my family uh, when the, the um, and yeah, it was, it was kind of cool to see, see the film up there on, on, uh, with, on TV with some, some pretty big titles right next to it. It's definitely leveled the playing field. The first, the first barrier of entry that was kind of leveled, I think for filmmakers was the, the camera technology, because in the past 
uh, you know, shooting any kind of film, whatever format, Super 16, 35, uh, was a very, very expensive process, very labor-intensive process. And it took a tremendous amount of technical know-how in terms of setting the exposure, um, threading the film, sending the film to the laboratory, making sure the film was handled correctly on the set. They would put it into changing bags to change uh, magazines and then exposed film had to be put back in the cans with special color tape and marked. And uh, that was a big barrier of entry. But then, of course, with digital cinema, um, with uh, the uh, Aerie, with the Aerie Alexa, the, the red cinema cameras, that, that barrier of entry got lower and then and it, film started uh, kind of easing away. But then there was still that huge barrier of entry in terms of distribution because it was so uh, very so difficult to get a film released in any capacity, let alone get it in theaters. And back in the day, of course, with what's called or what was called PNA prints and advertising, uh, a studio or a production company would spend millions and millions of dollars uh, making physical 35 millimeter prints that, that weighed, I don't, I'm just guessing, but they were, you know, 15, 20 pounds, I think for a big can of film. And those would have to be mailed all over the country to theaters. And the, the odds of an, of an independent filmmaker being able to even scratch the surface of, of that, uh, in terms of distribution as well, was very difficult, but the cameras have gotten better, smaller, lighter, cheaper film is no longer, uh, a requirement in terms of your acquisition format. And then as far as uh, distribution with, with streaming and with the whole uh, culture around releasing films theatrically changing quickly, um, it, it's a very different landscape that is far more favorable to indie filmmakers than I think at any other time. And I would guess in cinema history, to be honest. No, I, I think like film is going through and it really interesting change for the better actually and and partially thanks to digital streaming but just all, all these different advancements that filmmakers and also movie watchers did not have until now i mean they pretty much could have their own movie theater at home if they want i mean the option is there you don't have to settle in for and i'm not saying don't go to the movie theater i mean if you really love to go to the movie theater yeah go but if you're someone who's like you know i, I just want to enjoy my movies at home like you got that for you and you mentioned Absolutely. yeah no go ahead no yeah you're right you're totally right you mentioned that the barrier to entry but also like how you film because the addition of digital media i actually recently saw some films that released on netflix I forgot the name, but they were shot completely out of an iPhone, uh, which is some at, at first when you think about that, that's like, OK, how do you make a movie out of that? But I mean, times has changed and really people can show how much they could do without even spending a whole lot of money. Yeah, and I, I, you're right. And I, I expect that barrier to to get lower and lower in terms of, of uh, what it re is required to, to make a um, really a, a production level film, like a traditional production level film. Now for you, do you think that, cause I mean, this is another subject I, I would uh, assume a lot of filmmakers have on their mind uh, budget and like what, how you want to go about it? Like, do you see yourself spending more or less on making films and going forward with like your future projects because everybody would like to think the more money the better but 
as I just said, you can also do more with less. But I mean, how do you even handle that in production as far as budgeting? Uh, yeah, that's I mean, that, that's a that's kind of a, a very good question. I've, I've heard, you know, the old saying, how long is a piece of rope? Well, a rope can be a foot long. It can be 10 feet long. It can be 20 inches, you know, whatever. And so budgets are the same way. Budgets can be uh, obviously any amount. And like you, you just said, people assume naturally, well, more money is, is better, but uh, it can be more rope to hang yourself with, creatively speaking, in a way. Because uh, if, if you don't have the, the budget, then you can you have to come up with, of course, a lot more. Uh, it forces you to come up with more interesting ways to solve problems. You can't just spray it with the money hose. But um, the other thing on a philosophical side of it is I, I do like uh, Truffaut's kind of approach with the French New Wave and uh, some of the French intellectuals that, that came about at that time uh, into the, the film community. And the, the whole idea of um, the auteur theory where the, the filmmaker is the author of a film the same way a novelist is the author of, of a novel. And I think that's a pretty, a pretty cool idea. And the thing is, the more people that become involved, all that money, of course, has a lot, of, a lot attached to it, a lot of strings and conditions attached. And so as the budget goes up, so do the amount of people involved. And so does the, uh, in some way the expectation. And it, it just totally changes the content as well, like I, like I mentioned, where you, where you can't just make things exactly the way you want by just spraying the money hose at it. You have to actually adapt to what's available. And that creates an entirely different film. And uh, so it's, you know, more money. It can be good. It can be bad. It can be neutral. And in my particular case, I'm uh, for my, my first round of films, I'm uh, kind of in a, in a range that I'm comfortable with in terms of um, keeping the, the strings attached to pretty minimal and uh, and having the help that I need, but at the same time, forcing myself to be creative in certain situations where I can't just say, well, I'll just, I'll fix it in post or I'll just go uh, buy a town for two months, you know, and, and film something there. I, so at the moment I'm kind of in a range I'm, I'm happy with maybe in the future, you know, far future, I'd, I'd dream about doing uh, a large budget production of some kind, but for the next several films, I'm, I'm kind of in a, a kind of a sweet spot, I think, for what I'm trying to accomplish. Yeah, I mean, I bet you're already thinking about your next film. I mean, even when this film hasn't been, or it's coming out pretty soon, but I mean, there's more room. I mean, what possibly the good happening in the world with COVID, it, best case scenario, I, I bet there's more ideas you have going on maybe something simple maybe you have something very grand that you want to share i'm sure there's more films that you have uh in the works uh well to to quote uh yeah what was it? i think ryan from the office i have i have nothing but ideas the problem is they all require money so yeah so yeah i mean definitely um there's a lot spinning around in my mind that i would like to do and and uh, I do have a handful of projects I've been considering for a lot of years um, that, that would require for sure a much larger budget. I would like to do uh, at some point a, a couple of Westerns, but on a, on a larger scale. Um, that's a genre that I, I definitely would like to work within. And uh, maybe uh, it's totally opposite from what I've done initially, but maybe a science fiction uh, round of films and which would probably require more more budget. So. Uh, but yeah, I definitely have some some ideas for bigger budget stuff down the road. All right. Now, 
I don't know if someone has brought this up to you, but uh, regarding your film, uh, Mexican Moon, I mean, it's been, again, impressively or made film, just kind of how you're able to get through everything with the pandemic and, and or, or and, and let your actors or I, I mean I, I I really uh I don't even know how to even approach this part because uh it, it is also kind of I wouldn't say touchy but another thing that changes in the film industry is also diversity and I mean that that's that's progressing wh- whether it be for uh men and women of color behind the camera or in front of the camera and Regarding Latino or Latina actor, actors, actresses, people of uh, Hispanic uh, ethnicity, there have been a lot of films about them mainly casted as the cartel or as a thug or as an antagonist of some kind. Now, recently, uh, just like as everything's progressed, we're starting to see them in other roles too i mean in two weeks we have in the heights which is a a big grand musical that mainly stars a a latino and uh black cast do you think that someone might approach your film and not not with uh pasta but they might go all right why cast your hispanic actors as or at least the ones that you because this dealing with the cartel like has that has that been like something you might have thought about when making this film just that there have been a lot of films out there about uh the cartel and about usually a white male protagonist uh killing or kicking butt uh and the cartel or someone who is usually uh, either a dental in distress but like roles that are not uh and i get because the the cartel does exist and i think that is something that needs to be uh, addressed in film but this is a subject that i think down the road where we're seeing more inclusion in in film that's things like this are going to probably pop up i i don't know if that is something you've thought about uh but i mean your, your film is very well made uh it, it it it's it's something that i have even thought about of maybe even films that i've watched uh in recent years not even relating to yours but just so happened to have had that same whether or not it's it's acceptable or not acceptable but i mean it, is this something that you uh, considered? Uh, it, it is something I've considered and uh, haven't haven't run into to questions yet on it, but I'm sure I, it's, it's still a brand new uh, film. So I, I, you're right. I'm sure as time time progresses and, and I visit with more people, it'll it, it, I'm sure it will come up again. Um, the the guy that plays the kind of the, the lead antagonist, Hugo Christian, uh, is a he's a tremendous actor and, and obviously does very very well in this part and and uh, but I'm looking forward to future collaborations with Hugo and I very intentionally uh, am thinking of of all the different ways that he could be used um, that that wouldn't be in the way that we used him in this film which for this this particular film I, I feel was appropriate but it's definitely. Uh, not the only thing he would really shine in. And so, um, and, and uh, something he'd mentioned to me as well, he's, he's thinking about 
cutting his hair because he's you know had had long hair of course in the film and uh but that's going to totally change um how casting directors view him when he, he cuts his hair and he's going to look different and then he's going to you know so he, he's a very versatile actor i'm looking forward to seeing him and and many types of roles that obviously uh are more more multi-dimensional than uh where he was in this film although he did a i think a flawless performance in this film um there was the the vintage commercial of the the bandito cartoon if you remember that kind of black and white yeah 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 and that and that's an example of a place i did think about your question while making the film and and for me that was about in a way playing with with that obviously very uh very aged stereotype and it was so two-dimensional and then showing that against a, a more to some degree more realistic spectrum of of uh hispanic actors because the lead actress uh barbara loriana's uh actually w was born in mexico um and then pablo esparza who plays the, the old man in the shack and he uh had a lot of depth and empathy to to I, that he brought i felt to his character and so and then hugo of course is the bad guy was uh, had a sense of honor, you know, toward the end of the of the the final confrontation with Sonny, and uh, he had a certain code, warped as it may be. He had a certain code that he lived by, uh, and he was a very, in a way, very complex character, I think, himself. And I was contrasting or hoping to contrast the depth of of uh, all of those uh, Latino characters with that hollow sort of cartoon stereotype that was. Um, that was used in that one little snippet. So, but yeah, that that's definitely now for this particular film, because it's a crime fiction set in 1980 in the little West Texas town, your story to a degree is going to inform uh, just in, in terms of function. I think what ethnic background your actors are, you know, if, if I do something that's, that's set in the 1700s in Northern Ireland, then that's the ethnicity predominantly that's going to be in that particular film. So I do think your setting and the context of each film is going to determine uh, to a large degree the, the ethnic background of your cast. Yeah, I, I guess when I bring this up, I, it was just that I, I feel that, or at least even, it was even brought up by some Latino and Latina friends I know, is that they feel that w with the amount of films where uh, someone of Hispanic heritage is painted as the villain for uh, a white man or, or female to beat up or or be the uh, Hispanic hitman. But one of the cases that there is so many films where that is pretty much their role and not enough of them as other things. And that's why we're slowly getting to something uh, more. But I wonder if that's some uh, it's something you're going to run into if you play it well I, I don't know that, that just that that's something that I feel like people are going to be discussing about it for a while because I know the cartel needs to be addressed but I get the concern I, I mean I I hold totally get the concerns to much agree that not saying that films will completely tell or, or, or well completely uh, influence what people feel about certain races but if you have several films come out where Hispanics are mainly looked at as either the thugs or the victims, I don't know if people look at those films and go like, oh yeah, that's what they are. And that's where you see a lot of racism with 
Latino and Latino. I mean, that right now, still kids getting caged. It, 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 I mean, that's that's going to be a tough thing that you're you might or or you might not uh, run across. But I, I do have confidence that you do have the best intentions. I, I hope I do. I, I try to, and and I definitely uh, filmmakers, of course, do have a, an enormous responsibility, um, and just in, in many many areas, and so and and that is one of them. And so yeah, I, it's it's something that I feel for this particular film. I. I uh, my intentions were good and I hope that um, everything fits correctly in the context of this, this particular story, this particular time where it's set. Um, that being said, I, I definitely, it's not something I would, I would just want to keep making the same film with the same characters, with the same setting over and over and over again. And, and I think the the best thing is just when you let, you just cast the, the best person for the part and it, it doesn't have to be, you know, a native American as a native American. It's just, if they're the best person for the character, and a particular film, then you just put them in there. And, and that's, I think that's really the, should be one of the goals is just to put the best person in the part and, uh, and not worry about, uh, you know, what, what, what their particular ethnic background is, but it is something that does have to be negotiated carefully. I think you're right. And I do think we do have to be very careful with it. And it could be easily exploited if, if a filmmaker uh, didn't have good intentions or if he took it too far or just that's all they did over and over were those same types of stereotypes then that, yeah, that would definitely be something that would be a cause for concern, I think. Yeah, but I, I mean, I'm looking forward to the, whatever you have coming up. Uh, I'm, I'm sure it'll be a while before you even have another film. I mean, cause this film's still coming out in June, which I'm sure that's going to be exciting. Once June 3rd, 1st happens, are you going to throw some type of party? You're going to grab uh, cocktails? I don't know what I, 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 I am an adult. I'm like 26 year old. And yes, part of me still has kind of like a kid and like nature. So I don't even drink alcohol. So whatever the big boys and girls do these days. Well, yeah, they, no, the, well, the answer is I, I, I join you. I, I don't drink. So that's, that's definitely, uh, that's something with the, the creative uh, mentality, temperament, whatever you want to call that's, that's something that isn't a good mixture. And I, so I, I don't drink, but I'll definitely be celebrating with, uh, with family and friends, like you mentioned, and it's, it was actually kind of cool. My uh, my hometown newspaper in Oklahoma actually picked up the story and and uh, they, they did an article on it is on the on the cover. And I actually right before before I, I jumped on the, this call with you, my uh, my science teacher from high school was actually on the phone. And I, I, I talked to him just a, just a little while ago and, and he was just great, very supportive and said, you know, they're, they're pulling for me. And so so I do anticipate uh, kind of a local celebration here in my hometown when when the film comes out uh, for free streaming on Prime. Well, that is cool. I mean, it, so you said science te- is the high school science teacher? Yes. Yeah. Wow. You, that is impressive to have high school teachers just keep up with you all the time, because I, I don't think anybody from my school remembers who I am. <laughs> Well, it's it, it's a blessing of being in a in a small town, and and my my parents actually are retired, but they they're both uh high, were high school teachers for thirty five years, and so that being you know coupled with being in a small town, it, it definitely keeps everyone kind of connected in a good way. Okay, I mean that sounds like you have a lot of positive things going for you, and you know after June first, I'm I'm sure I, I, that's is something that I think. For people who don't know about filmmakers, they always think, okay, how does a filmmaker keep getting paid when you can't like make a movie every week? Like when you're, I mean, when, when this film is released on Amazon Prime, like, and then you have a while, or maybe 
don't have a while maybe you're gonna may have a new film this that you're gonna start like the next week for a filmmaker to if you want to kind of educate someone who doesn't know anything about filmmaking what is it like for that to be a full-time job uh well it is obviously in the, in the very early stages it can be very difficult and uh one thing that helped me was just kind of the the mentality when i was uh kind of on my way up you know wanting to be a filmmaker i, I tried many many different occupations and um, a lot of the, the more um, standard paths like teaching and, and various things like that. And I, it would always the doors would open for me to a point. But then, you know, it just wasn't it, it just in the end was not who I am. And, and so what I, I kind of reoriented, reoriented my, my thinking as to I'm a filmmaker who is currently dot, 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 fill in the blank, whatever day job I had at that particular time to support my ultimate goal, which was to be a filmmaker. So. Uh, in the in the early stages, it, it takes a, a long time. And, and if you want to be a filmmaker, you're going to have to do a lot of regular jobs. But that's definitely not a bad thing, because Louis L'Amour, I, I was reading his biography uh, not too long ago, the, the Western novelist. And he did everything from uh, being a miner to a sailor to uh, a farmer, a rancher. A, a cow- he actually was a cowboy for a while and punched cow- cattle. And um, so you look at all those experiences, all the people he would have come into contact with he was i forgot what for some reason he was uh, in the shipping industry and traveled all over the world um to you know asia and the middle east and, and just all over africa and so what a it ended up forming of course a, a very good base for him as a, as a writer for his stories and so be prepared to do a lot of regular jobs but that's actually you'll be surprised how many of the people that you knew in some way will end up in your work and uh and make you a much better storyteller. And then eventually, of course, the goal is that you are able to make um, enough you know, income from your films if they get to be large enough that you can make that your primary focus. Okay. Well, I mean, that that sounds like a nice thing. I, I mean, there's a lot of creators out there or hopeful creators out there that just want to immediately make this. I mean, and yeah, I, I love one day would love to podcast for a living, but I mean, you know, we all got to find something to, as, as some people call it, plant some seeds in the ground. So uh, that, I mean, that, that's definitely a very helpful advice for anyone who wants to get into filmmaking. Mexican moon is available on Amazon prime June 1st free, right? Don't that's have to correct. pay anything. Just, pay that subscription i mean jeff bezos is already going to own your house so <laughs> might as well surrender to him with mexican moon and then maybe in the next film you you know since you're partnering up with amazon prime maybe make a film about how amazon is going to take over the world <laughs> right yeah I'll, I'll put that in the development uh file and we'll, we'll see but yeah ai exists now i mean they they got real uh ai cyborgs out there yeah what did i read about the is it i think they're calling it implantables or something but smart technology that actually is connected to organic material like our brains and nervous system and they're actually melding the two somehow um, I have heard, I mean, I, any, anything that any phrase that all this starts off with, they are, you know, you know, right away where that's going to go. But uh, I've, I've heard that, that, that some people are, are researching that type of technology where they can actually, instead of holding your smartphone, they're going to just inject it somehow into you and it's going to interface with your actual biological systems. And that's kind of a scary thought. That is, I mean, I was just, I, I was thinking something like innocent, like in, in Japan where, from what i hear the dollar general stores are completely run by robots 
and then I was also thinking about the AI. I forgot the name of it, but they they have a real AI. Uh, I think her name is June or, or Janet. But uh, no, it's a real robot with uh, feeling or at least uh, like reactions and and uh, an actual like self conscious. So yeah, I mean the Terminator, that's gonna be real. So. Amazon is going to be the precursor to all of that. And uh, Cyberdyne systems, right? Yeah, it's yeah. We'll see, but it it it, it changes all the all the time, of course, because it's you know it, who knows in, in another three, four, five, six years, some other company may be uh, on the forefront that we have no idea about, and it's just constantly it's it's impossible to I think to get a, a really a read on exactly where things are going to go. I mean, we're just following that uh, the technology trends because it's just too it's just too much in flux. No, Amazon's got this. You'll, you'll see. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So where do people follow your work outside of watching Mexican Moon? Uh, I, I have a pretty small digital footprint. So the, you know, I, I do have an IMDb um, page and, and uh, but that's, that's kind of the main, the main thing for me is, is um, just watching, watching the, the films. Okay. And this will be on Pond Express podcast available on all podcasts and platforms of your choice which is uh you know spotify apple podcast anchor if, if you have a podcast listening platform we're on there facebook.com says ponds press instagram says ponds press uh, twitter at chase pond 64 video clips of said interview will go on insta reels and tiktok both under ponds press and to address something because kelly said this before the interview uh, this is an entertainment uh, if you're wondering what this is about it's an entertainment podcast so it's not just about gaming that's one of the things we support but we're about movies too and tv uh i actually have two shows that are all about like the entertainment talk and then my interviews which the interesting thing is we talk about diversity most of my interviewees are uh diverse people are people of color so actually, very rarely, I talk to another white person. So, I mean, congratulations. <laughs> You're the next. Uh, no, actually, I, I did uh, speak with another. Uh, white... I don't even. That, that sounds wrong when I, I just say that uh, white or Caucasian. But <laughs> we're, we're we all bleed red. We're all people. But yeah, I mean, mostly I'm supporting diverse creatives. And I, I mean, it's not that I don't interview anybody. I, I'm, I don't lock that out. You know, there's a lot of wonderful people out there who don't have their voices heard. So if you want to just have the short answer what I'm about, but that's kind of what it is. But uh, yeah, it was great talking to you, sir. And I will uh, put this up and uh, let Kelly know because I'm sure she would love to share this. Amazon Prime, check it out. See you later.